You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Well, as we open our Bible, as you guys know, most of you do, hopefully we're studying through the book of Exodus. We've been in here for quite a while because we're just taking our time. I'm making no constraints. I'm just um, being able to go through God's Word as one of our distinctives here at Redemption Church. And uh, we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 21, verse 33. It may seem like a weird stop, but actually these laws, their 42 ordinances, is a summary of the Levitical law, and it's broken up almost in sections. And so we've covered a couple of things. Um, but the reason why this law has been given is because God is giving his nation out of his kindness, the nation of Israel, some rules. Because he's forming a nation. And so every time that I come to these long list. I'm giving you a different aspect. Tonight's aspect, I want to remind you of God's faithfulness and his goodness. Because in Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 through 8, he made a covenant or a promise to a man named Abraham. And he said in verse 8 of that chapter, I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan and an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God promised to make a people that were not a people, Abraham, Sarah, Baron, a whole nation. And what we actually see is that God is faithful to his word, and he's establishing a nation in the book of Exodus, and now he's forming ordinances or laws for them to be his people and them to be blessed. Now, ultimately, we know Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, would come from the nation of Israel, the Messiah, and would bless the nations, would bless you and I as Christ, anointed one, one that we look to and we're saved. God wanted to use the nation of Israel to actually save the other nations, and so he's establishing something significant here. And these laws are important because they would point to the Messiah to, to, to come. I wrote these two things down. One, this is important that we have this laws because it's showing all people that there is a need for a Savior. Remember, this is what the law does. It shows you you are not the Savior. The law is good, Paul would say. It's perfect. But the reality is it shows us like a mirror our imperfections. So God has to establish and lay out a whole bunch of long list of rules. And if you think this section is a little long or a little boring, read the book of Exodus. 613 laws. It's almost overwhelming and it's supposed to be. It's supposed to beat your flesh down and say, you can't even handle a summary of the law. You can't even handle the morals of the law, the civil, the purity of who I am. And he's giving the nation a taste that they need to have a savior. But the second thing it's doing is it's showing the tangible blessings of following God, Yahweh, the Lord and his ways. Remember, this nation was to be a testimony or a light post to the other nations. And other nations had all these other idols, all these other gods. And so God says, okay, I'm going to show you who the real God is. I'm going to speak it before it even happens. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of rules. And if you follow those rules, Israel, like the Sabbath, you'll have some rest and be blessed. And other people will say, well, who are they worshiping? Why are they blessed when they do this, this, and this? God is establishing something significant that he is God and we are not. We are not through the law, perfected, but through the law, we are blessed as we obey. And I want to remind us today that today, for us, 2023, as we follow God's word, as we follow the law, God uses our obedience in the same way. We use our obedience the same way because, remember, we have a Messiah that will come again. Jesus, our Savior, promised to return, to make a people, a living hope. This is not the end. We have eternal life, but we will have eternal life for all eternity. And God will come and establish his rule and reign and his kingdom here on the earth. And we will have resurrected bodies through the promise of Jesus Christ. The Bible calls this to believers a living hope. So when we're in our mess, when we're in our brokenness, we actually should have a hope to live for Jesus because we know he will come again. In 1 John 3 Verses 2 through 3 says, because of this hope, it purifies us. It causes us to to want to worship God and live for Him. And you know what? As the church, as God's people, as we live for God and obey His word, our lives actually point to the Messiah to come, just like Israel points to the Messiah to come. How? Well, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, by showing all people there's a need for a Savior. 
You know, the Holy Spirit is inside of every believer, and the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to convict the world. And so as you live according to God's word, it's actually showing righteousness, a moral, a truth. There is evil and there is right. There are, are these things that, that maybe the world doesn't want to believe or even understand or acknowledge, but as we live out the word of God, not only are we showing people that there is a savior, but there is a better way. That we're not only imperfect because all, sin, all Christians are saints, are just saved by grace. We acknowledge in our humility, we need God. And then when we obey God, you know the Bible says that we're blessed. Jesus said, blessed are you not that just hear the word, but that you actually apply it to your life. And we, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, are the salt and light. We are a tangible blessing to other nations and those that do not believe in Yahweh to show them this is the abundant life. I can have some peace and chaos. I, I, I know that there's some hope that I have here. Or you know, when I live a, a sexually pure life, there's blessing in that. I know the culture says this, 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 and this, but these are, this is God's word. And as we obey God's word, we're blessed. So although these ordinances may not specifically apply to us today, as we're going to see and get into more laws about animals and things like that, we understand that these principles are important for us to know, to understand, and to apply because God does not change. And he wants to use the nation of Israel. Just as he used the nation of Israel, he wants to use us. We're his people. Peter would say, now you are a holy nation, a chosen uh, people, a royal priesthood. And so, man, live your life in such a way that ex explains the excellencies of God. And we bring God glory. And so rules do matter. Valuing what God values. And so far we've seen and have different approaches, but the big idea is God values human life. Through these rules, he's doing it not to punish or not to be a killjoy, but actually to give guidance and structure and order. And the first thing that he saw was that we covered about uh, servants or slaves, indentured servants. And this was an important aspect of, aspect of their culture. Uh, rules, next, they covered the death penalty and rules of injury and so forth and these type of things. It was covering the importance of the justice of God. God is making a systematic case about his righteousness, his justice, how he cares for people, how you love people. And he's giving us these principles and perfect standings. And tonight, as we pick up in verse 33, we're going to cover and deal with the laws of restitution. The laws of restitution, to restore, to redeem, to pay back. God is a just God. He's righteous. What happens when we wrong one another? If the law reveals that we do have sin and we mess up and blow it, how do we correct that? How do we come at peace with people? How do we restore? How do we live in a society with this thing of sin? Well, God actually brings forth hope for us now and then. And so although these rules are going to deal with animals, maybe specifically deal with a non-agricultural society, these principles are for us today. Now, let me start off with this. Civil rights leader and minister John Perkins, uh, in his book, Dream With Me, uh, Race, Love, and the Struggle to Win, he says this, As I look back on my life, I see the many successes that happened in my lifetime. But justice is something for which every generation has to strive. And what he acknowledges in this book, this is writing about the great works that he did, but he's trying to tell the generation next to him, those that go after him, us, everyone has to make this decision to strive for justice, to follow after God, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I love this because although these principles and ordinances were given to a nation of Israel back then, I think these principles have to be applied and worked out today. Wouldn't you say? I pray that you don't own any slaves, right? But I pray that you love people and care about rights of humans. Or you're not killing people this week, but yet I think it's pretty good to say, how do I apply loving people? We have to work these things out and ask the Holy Spirit because they reveal truth and the character of God. He goes on and says this, throughout the scripture, we read about God's concern for people who are vulnerable are suffering, the poor, the widows, the orphans, the foreigners in the land, and so on. All Christians should feel a sense of calling to where there is pain in our society. This is what the ordinance are doing. They're showing you pain points. They're showing you problems. They're showing you hope. 
Because God wants to and commands us to, as his followers, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God, Micah 6.8. And we can't just negate the fact that we need the Lord. And so we continue on this list of ordinances and we ask God to teach us, like Romans 12.21, to overcome evil with good. I hope that you can not lose heart and understand in this world when there's no morals and there's no law and everyone's just doing whatever they want to do, that there is actually something we can do as Christians. We've been predestined, ordained to do good works in this world. That your life matters. And it does matter because you have the Spirit of God in a relationship with God and He wants to empower you, give you purpose, and for you to love Him and to love other people. And that's what these rules are doing. They're just pouring out love to other people. So, Let's just take a moment real quick and ask God to pour his love into our hearts and jump right into this text. God, come. We come before you humbly knowing that we cannot love perfectly like you love, but you've given us not only a great example, but a way. You've removed sin. You've made it a way where we could repent and turn to you. And we can ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit to just fall afresh upon us. Romans 5, 5 says the Spirit of God comes into our hearts and pours the love of God into our hearts. May we see more of your glory and beauty. May we love you in our study, in our lives as we're worshiping here tonight. But may it impact our relationships, our marriages, our families, our community. May we see these rules as a love offering to us to show us the way, the good life, And help us to see these principles so that we would be able to love other people. You loved us so well, Jesus. Help us to love others as well. Not that we would even strive for that or feel condemned and have a big to-do list. But God, just strengthen our hearts. Strengthen our faith. Build us up in your word. And so we thank you and we love you and we praise you and we just pause to make this a house of prayer and something And we just acknowledge again that we need your strength and goodness to do so. It's in your name we pray, God. Amen. Amen. Ordinance. Ordinances, part three. Well, as we um, cover the laws of restitution today, let us remember the context. Israel has now become a nation, or they are becoming a nation, being free from Egypt. It's an agricultural society of uh, farmers Um, animal were very important to him because if he did not have an animal, it was like having an investment or money. It was a tool. And a lot of these rules today are going to be dealing with animals and belongings. And what happens when something goes wrong? And what can we learn from that? Because remember, God's word is relevant to our everyday life. And this doesn't seem very relevant to us as far as how do we deal with an ox or a sheep missing. But that was their everyday life. And I want to remind you, God wants to deal with your everyday life. And so verses 33 through 36, the the next thing we see in this text is animals injured are killed. Animals injured are killed. Let's read section by section, break it down, and then we'll learn some principles to point us to the person of Jesus. Verses 33 through 36 in chapter 21. It starts when a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owners, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another so that it dies, then they shall sell, and, uh, sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share." Or in verse 36, if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, meaning hurt other people, its owner has, and its owner is not, um, has not kept it in, he shall repay an ox for an ox and deal with beast shall be his, or and the dead beast shall be his. So clearly we see, very applicable to our lives right here, right? You're like, okay, this is why it's up. This is why there's an aspect, a lot of aspect of teaching, giving you context. So let me just break down this thing. It's about animals injured or killed. The first 32 and, or 33 and 34, they deal with a man's carelessness and negligence. A man's carelessness and negligence. And so if he opened a pit, this text says he should close it. 
because it could be injured. It could be a danger. If he left it open, someone like an animal can get hurt or even killed. And if this happened, the careless man would then be responsible for restoration. This is why in verse 34, it says the owner of the pit shall make restoration. This included giving the owner of the dead beast money and then being responsible for the carcass. How would you like that on your, on, your, on your list? Hey, now that dead animal, I have to take care of it and figure out and bury and do all this different stuff. It would be a burdensome and something to prevent him from being careless or negligent in the, in the area of cleaning up after himself. Now, this should remind us, this principle, that there is a price for our carelessness and our negligence. There can be a lot of pain because people don't take responsibility for their actions, right? I'm sure you all experienced that. Let me give you a couple of things that come to mind. One personal, then one culturally. Pers- uh, personally, my words. I get in trouble all the time with my words. Do you? I know James says it's like a little, a little uh, um, rotor that just steers a whole large ship. I have wished, as I spit forth words, that I can just grab them and put them back in my mouth. But that is not how they work. Have you ever gotten yourself in trouble when you've just spit forth words that have been careless and they've hurt people? I, I try to remind myself, I want to think before I speak. I want to think before I speak. I want to, I want to be slow to, uh, to speak, quick to listen. Because Jesus actually tells us in Matthew 12, 36 that we are all going to have to give an account for our words. For our words. This is just one, one thing that you see and people just spit out all this different stuff and just, listen, words are powerful. There is death and life in the tongue, Proverbs 18, 21 tells us. And we can be negligent or careless with our words and that's going to cause some harm. We need to be warned about that. Another problem, though, in our society that I see is being negligent is just a big problem. There's a big issue in our day of single moms raising their kids alone. I don't know if you notice this and know the stats, but dads are failing to take proper care of their children. And it seems like more men are not taking responsibility for their actions when raising children that they have so graciously made into this world. It is such a common problem today in our society that they actually, we, we, we sort of idolize a single mom. Like, oh, this is a good thing. Go, women power. I don't want to offend anyone, but listen, God has always attended that the family unit stay together. That sexual intimacy would be made in a covenant relationship so that it would actually protect the mom and protect children. And if you know anything statistically speaking, we know that it's harder for a child when there's no dad in the home. There's actually worse grades, there's more crime, there's lower income, and less support when mom and dad are not in the home. And many people in our society think it's just okay, and they're negligent with their responsibility of their actions in this way, and it brings forth a lot of pain. Now, these are just two examples that sort of just, boom, came to mind as I deal and think through all the pain and the suffering of people's negligence or carelessness, some my own, some I see out there. But the reality is this text is trying to say we need to have accountability when it comes to our actions. You can't just leave a pit open, expect when things happen. No, there needs to be restoration, restitution. You need to make things right. And we shouldn't be careless or negligent whatever our responsibilities are in whatever our life. Now, verse 35 and 36 continue to say that the one should control their animal and take responsibility for them. If two animals, if they get into a fight and one dies, the owners should split the profits of both the dead and the living animals. After all, we know this law actually includes accidents. Accidents do happen. As you have animals, you are responsible, but you're not responsible for everyone's mess, and sometimes there are things that you can't control. But in these texts, verse 35 and 36, if the animal had a past history or the owner knew that that ox would gore people, or maybe you have a history of dogs and your dog is a very violent dog, and you just let them roam, you are now responsible and should pay for the owner and says an ox for an ox. That owner is now responsible because he didn't take action 
that cost someone real pain. Again, this shows us that we shouldn't be negligent in doing good when we are aware of it. Last week we talked about it, James chapter 4, verse 17. When God reveals for us to do something good, it says it's actually sin when we don't do it. We need to respond, not just by not crossing a line, but if God says, go do this good thing, you need to respond and be obedient to what he's telling you to do. Now, one commentator, Warren Wiersbe, said about this section, this law not only revealed God's concern for justice, but also his desire that people be careful and not make it easy for animals to be injured and therefore have to be killed. And so it's also protecting an animal because this was a part of their life and they wanted, God made sure that they wouldn't treat animals cruel or just use them in that way. The next section of laws of restitution are concerning stealing animals. Verses 1 through 4. 1 through 4 in chapter 22. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five ox for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay if he has nothing. Then he shall be sold for his theft. Uh, verse 4, if the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, this thief that has the animal, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Sometimes, I, especially in this context, I sort of feel bad for you. Because I, I have to like read this text like 10 to 12, 15 times sometimes to be like, what in the world are they talking about? Sometimes I feel like an attorney to be like, how do I break? That's why I'm reading it to you, breaking it down, giving you an illustration, an example. Because if I just read that, I'd be like, all right, man, you lost me. You lost me. But we know Exodus 20, 15, it said, thou shall not steal, right? Okay. Thou shalt not steal. Very simple. Yet we have rules here about stealing and thieves. Why? Well, because God knows that they're sinners. That even though he gives a pure law and something good for humanity and the society, guess what? We'll break it. This is actually very fascinating because in this verse and in just the context, before we even get into the specifics of the detail, let's not lose sight. God knew that we would break the law. Just, he's acknowledging thievery even though he told them not to do it. But he's like, but I know you're going to do it, so I'm going to cover you with grace. I'm going to give you some rules about it. Because the reality is we can't keep the law. We sin, and God loves sinners. He loves thieves. He lo has a heart that has always loved sinners to want to redeem and restore and actually bring restitution and, and re redemption, and he does this through the cross. Now, is there still consequences for this sin? Yes. God loves thieves, he loves sinners, but did you notice how there still was a price to pay if you broke a rule? Just like us, he loves sinners, he loves humanity, but there will, he is a just God and there is a price to pay if you rebel against him, the wrath of God remains upon you. But clearly, God is full of mercy and wants to forgive, and so, unlike so many common laws of the days, you read commentary and know the culture, back in the day, if you were to steal things, you could actually get put to death. If you were to steal property, or maybe you've seen Aladdin, right? And he steals that apple. In that culture, you know what happened? They chop off the arm. And oftentimes, they had actually common laws during that day that thievery was so important because property was so important because your identity was on what you own that it's like you're taking a piece of you. But just again, let me remind you, your identity is not on what you own in the materialistic of things here. God is giving rules and saying, actually, human value is more important than the stuff that you have. So don't kill thieves, but there is a way that they have to pay. And so God says, they shall pay back for their wrong. He shall pay five oxen for one ox, or four sheep if he steals one sheep. Again, this shows us that God values human life over property. But if a thief is caught stealing at night and stuck, there, uh, and, and struck, there was no blood guilt for him. Now, recently, I woke up in the middle of the night by my kids and was freaked out. 
they woke me up, and it was pretty scary, but it was pretty real, because you know when you wake up and you have no idea what's going on? So what ended up happening is, in our back patio, uh, they heard glass shatter. And it was like, what? what's going on? And noise. And it kept on being noise, like brr, 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 brr. And so they're just freaking out. I get the flashlight. I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord Jesus, help. I go out there, but I'm like, they're not, that noise isn't like in our house. It's like out there. And what ended up happening, or what happened was, we have a fan in our back patio, and some, for some reason that we have lights, and it just almost like slipped, and it like got in cross paths of the fan, and so like four or five lights just kept on moving and breaking. But it freaked us out, right? <laughs> like, and this is one of those like weekend nights or something like that. It was break because they were like up. Laura and I, you know, when you have teenagers, you're like, well, I'm going to bed. See you later. I don't even know what time it is. This law is sort of dealing with those situations. Okay, thank God nothing happened. It was just a fan. But if someone were to come in my house and I were to strike them, whether that be with a bat, a gun, my fist, a knife, I ain't going to tell you because I don't want none of y'all breaking in, okay? This is a public message, all right? But I'm just letting you know, watch out. The Bible actually says it's okay. If you strike him and it's night and you're worried about your life, like there's no blood guilt on you in that thievery because you have no idea and they're coming in. But if it's daytime, it's a little different. Notice this context. If it were during the day, it would have been a different case because I would have known, oh, I can see it's not a thief or they're not trying to harm me. They're just trying to take stuff. You should arrest a thief. You should prevent them, yes, but you can't just go on and kill a thief. Okay? So you can be like, stop, no, call 911, but don't just go off and just shooting people just because they want to steal something. That ain't right. And so even if a thief didn't kill an animal, you got your animal back, there was still a price for that thievery. Did you notice in the very beginning, even if they find a thief and they still have your ox and you get the ox back, that thief still then owes you an ox for the trouble. There are still consequences. Whatever, uh, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay you double. Thieves and criminals need to be responsible for their actions. One commentator said offenders had to deal face-to-face with the offended. They had to generously compensate the victim. Imagine that. If you got caught as a thief, you would actually face-to-face and say, I have to apologize, and not just by your words, but with your actions, and give them restitution. And this should remind us all that we will have to face God face-to-face for our actions that there is a price to pay for our sin. Hebrews 9.27 says, just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. This is why the message of Jesus is so important and good news for us all, because if we trust in Christ and the work that he did on the cross, our judgment has been paid for fully. And we actually go to God wanting to see his face because there is no condemnation in Christ. The Bible says that Jesus paid a debt for all sin by his blood. Just as there is a price to pay for sin, Jesus paid that price and that debt that we owe. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, it says, He, speaking of Jesus, is the propitiation for our sin and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. That word propitiation means the Father was fully pleased by Jesus' sacrifice. He was appeased. There was a record of wrong, and Jesus paid it. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So as we turn to God, God covers us by his blood, just like the perfect lamb of God. We saw the Passover lamb, and the angel of death passed over the people of Israel. Well, God passes over us because the blood was shed, and if we're in Christ, all spiritual blessings are found in him. We don't have to worry about being face-to-face with God. In fact, Did you know that heaven, that word means dwelling place of God? And Christians, we long to be face to face with God. For right now, it's like a a dim mirror and it's like a a fade, but we actually get to see the full glory of God when we die. We have a living hope. We anticipate that. Why? Because we're not criminals anymore. We're saints. I know that we feel like criminals, but the Bible always addresses Christians as saints, not sinners. Because in our sin, God paid that debt, and he actually views us as righteous. We're no longer criminals or thieves opposing God. By God's grace and turning to him, he gives mercy and forgiveness, and he actually gives restitution for our salvation. 
And so, this is why Peter in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 said this, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know, when you don't break the law, you don't have to fear the law either. The Bible says because we're in the Spirit, we don't walk by the things of the law. It's amazing. Like, I actually was, I'm happy when cops come around if I'm actually a law-abiding citizen. I want them to protect my home. But if I'm in thievery and I'm breaking law, I don't want that. And God wants you to have a pure walk with Him. And not to be condemned, but to know that stuff's taken care of. You can know Him. You can seek His face. It's only in the Lord that we fully find forgiveness for all of the actions in our heart and even manifest in our body. His life for our sin. The next rule we see is about crops. Verses 5 through 6. You guys are doing great studying. Look at that. We're just taking one section at a time. Uh, Verse 5 through 6. We only have a few more sections in this study tonight. If a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed over and lets his beast loose and it feeds in another animal's field, he shall make restitution from the beast in his own field and in his own vineyard. Now, if a fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that the stack grain or the stranding grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. All right. Back in the day, there weren't fences like we know fences for property lines. We actually know this contextually because in Deuteronomy 19.14 it talks about that. Proverbs 22.28 talks about how they would separate land and things by corners, and they would put a stone on each corner. So that's sort of how you know the property rights, right? Uh, Sort of like when someone comes out and says, hey, this is the fence, and this is with the property, and the lease, and whatever, laying it all out. Animals don't know that. They're not going to be like, well, that corner, that stone looks like that property, so I shouldn't eat grass there. This is just dealing with reality. So in verse 5, it says, owners, they were supposed to either train or guard or keep watch of their animals to make sure that they were within their boundaries of fields to eat their own hay and grass and graze there. If they didn't, they would be responsible. If the owner didn't watch the the animals, he was to make restitution for what the animal ate. Now, verse 6 continues and teaches us that if a fire broke out in a field or a crop, it was only right for whoever started the fire to compensate the people who were deprived of their grain. You may have left coal out, fire out, whatever it may be, but if stuff flew and fell into the other property, then you would be responsible. Someone may need to be responsible for something. I want you to notice how it may even not may not even be the owner's fault because sometimes you can't watch an animal 24-7 and the animal just may go graze and he says, okay, well, I got to be responsible for this or a fire may just have ashes and fly out. These verses teach us that it costs something to be at peace with people. Okay, It costs something to actually be at peace with people. Both of these situations really aren't the fault of the person owning the animal or the owners, yet they're to make restitution. Animals grazing, uh, animals graze and fire spread. But yet damage happens as you live this life, and it costs someone something to have peace with people. Now, what do I mean by that? In this text, in this chapter 22, the word restore or restitution is used six times in this chapter. This is the Hebrew word that's actually translated shalom. Uh, It actually means to make whole or to be complete. It's related to the word more familiar, shalom, which means peace or health. One commentator said this, it takes more than confession of guilt for an offender to make things right. It also demands effort on his part to compensate the people who are hurt. Only then can the torn fabric of relationships be mended and society society be made whole. Meaning this, it takes effort for you and I to be at peace with people, to mend relationships, even when it's not necessarily our fault, even when life happens. Life happens sometimes and it's not our fault, Animals eat crops, and fires sometimes spread. But yet it's 
still on the owner or the person to make restitution and proactively mend that relationship and be at peace with that person. We can and should be people that help mend relationships and make an effort to bring restoration and make things right with people in our relationships by practically loving them even when it costs us. Even when it costs us. Especially if we actually did offend people and it was our fault. We should be very quick to say I'm sorry, to offer forgiveness. But listen, you ain't always got to be right, and it always doesn't have to be on you. It, it reminds me of the verse in Romans 12, 18. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Meaning, don't just say you're sorry. Do your best to restore damage. Go after people. Damage relationships should be restored. Even by restitution, there needs to be for Christians a loving action that proactively tries to mend relationships to be peacemakers. And guess what? I know it's hard. I know that you don't want to do it because you're just like me. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall see God. As you die to yourself and you try to mend relationships, and you try to move forward in peace with people, God will meet you and give you strength to help forgive and to actually bring restitution by the power of His Spirit, to walk in unity. There the Lord commands a blessing. And this is just saying like, hey, it's going to cost something to be at peace. If you're married, you know that. Guys, you know when it's time to talk and when it's not. You just do. Sometimes winning the argument isn't the great fight. It's better just be like, you know what? I'm just going to keep my mouth shut, and it's not about winning argument. I'm just going to make peace and mend, and it's not even up to me. I'm just going to just love this person and own it and try to do the best to make peace. doesn't mean that you get abused. It doesn't mean that there's no order and no rules. But be it all possible, you. Be at peace with people. Last section, other people's belongings. This is a longer, bigger section, but we're not going to take that much time into it. Verses 7 through 15. 7 through 15, if a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it is stolen from the man's house, then if the thief is found, he shall pay double. Uh, what you need to know before we get into this big context is bankings, that as we know, were not common back then. People that had security in more homes, they would actually lend their money to people to keep it secure. And this is sort of what it's talking about. I'm giving you my belonging to guard it, to take interest, to, you know, the same sort of like financing banking. They would actually personally do that. It wouldn't be Bank of America. It would be your rich neighbor to the left, okay? And so if a thief is not found and the money is stolen in verse 8, the owner of the house shall come near to God and show whether or not he has put his hand to the neighbor's property. Because the, the person could just be like, oh, someone stole it, it was a thief. Oh, okay. No, you need to make a covenant, pray to God, make sure. For verse 9, for every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, or for any kind of lost thing, of which one says, this is it. The case, both, uh, the case of both parties shall come before God, and one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. So don't be lying. Verse 10, if a man gives to his neighbor a donkey, so sometimes you would actually allow people to have money and finances for security, but you would also say, hey, I only have one donkey, you have five, how about we work this together, and I'm going to give you an ox, I'm going to give you a donkey, some sheep, or a sheep or any beast to keep them safe. I'm traveling, I want you to do this. If it dies, that animal dies, or it's injured, or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath be that by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. Did, did that person just take him out back and have a barbecue? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the situation. Hey, watch this for me. Oh man, someone just took your shoes, man. I don't know, you know. And the next week they're, they're wearing the shoes. The owner shall accept the oath and he shall not make restitution, saying, I swear to you, it wasn't me. There's no restitution. Something happened. But... If it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence, and he shall not make restitution for what has been torn. Verse 14. 
If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and is injured or dies, the owner not, uh, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. And if the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. This last section deals with people dealing honestly with one another. Honestly with one another. I'm going to lend you this. You're going to lend me that. There's, there's going to be this benefit, whether it be an animal, money, a dealing or working together. In verses 7 through 9, uh, if someone were to ask you to guard the animal, guard money, or whatever property, they should faithfully watch that animal. You would want to watch someone's animal like a goat because then you can milk the goat and have that privilege. It would be a mutual beneficial thing that would happen often. But if a thief came, because we know there were thieves at the time, and they stole, then they were responsible for that loss, especially if there was nothing found. Now, if I take your, uh, your belongings, um, then I'm responsible for it. And people would do this because there weren't banks around, there weren't the security, and so there was this mutual agreement, and people wouldn't take advantage of one another. Okay? That's what verse 7 through 9 is talking about. In verses 10 through 13, it deals with a man giving his neighbor an animal, not just money, but what happens now if I give you this animal and it dies? Like, were you working it way too hard? What is that all about? Or what if it gets injured? How and what would you do? Well, you would need to walk in integrity. You would need to be honest. You would need to take an oath before God. Other verses in this context say you go before the gates of the leaders and elders. You would figure this out. And then people would say, well, you're lying. Oh, well, you're not. Okay, even if there's proof, then bring that proof. Verses 14 and 15, they deal with the person that borrows an animal to do their work, but then they get injured or even dies. There's still restitution for it. Or we may say this, if I let you borrow my truck and it gets in a wreck, then you're insurance. you got to take care of it. Because you were the one driving it, and sort of the mutual agreement was, if I let you borrow my car and anything happens, you're going to take care of it, right? So people would actually have this commonality like we do today, and it's really fine until it's not all fine. You know what I mean? Like people think they're cool with money or animals or property or whatever until then finally something actually goes down. And so God is actually in his wisdom writing things down. Now, Warren Wiersbe said about this whole, this whole section, this last section of restitution, he says, honesty and integrity um, form the adhesive that holds a, holds a healthy and productive society together. If neighbors can't trust each other, then life becomes difficult. Now, hasn't life become difficult? We don't even know our neighbors. Surely we can't even trust them. I mean, I, I've talked to people, maybe some in this room, where you actually knew the neighbor, and you'd be like, oh, I need some milk, I need some sugar, or, oh, you know, I need, I'm on hard times, and you would actually talk and have one each other's backs. This is not happening, and it seems like more and more people, although there's the social media and aspect of you know more people, you don't really know people nowadays. They're, they're, it's hard. That, this is why as a church, even especially building community, we need to have each other's backs. We need to walk in integrity and love, loving our neighbors. This reminds me of the words of Jesus who said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Or in James chapter 5, 12, let your yes, um, yeah, you let your yes be yes, your no be no. When we give our word, we should keep our word. That used to mean something. Remember the whole like handshake thing? When we talk about it and have integrity, there's actually a great security in sense. You know, when you make a covenant or get married, you're just giving your word in sickness and in health. Till death do you part. And the reason why there's security is because both of you are making a mutual agreement. And when you live out that agreement, there's blessing. But when there's fractions and you disagree and you go sideways, it brings a lot of pain and hurt. It should be important for us to walk in integrity, honesty, and be faithful to one another. Listen to what the book of Proverbs says, a book of wisdom. Proverbs 28, 18. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered. But he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Proverbs 19.1 Better is a poor person who walks in integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Proverbs 20 verse 7 The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. You know, we need verses like this to remind us it's worth to actually walk in integrity nowadays. 
Because our society, honestly, it's hard and it will cost you something to walk in integrity, to do business with integrity. You know, if you do business with integrity and you're honest, it's actually going to shine really bright here in South Florida. Because how many of y'all know scamming and the craziness of these businesses out here are just nuts? It is just psycho. There's billions of bots going out just to be crooked and take advantage and be dishonest. But if we walk in integrity, it's actually a witness to the world that we can give our word that God lives inside of us and we value living for his glory, not after possessions or man or anything else. Because after all, God is great. He is the faithful one who always keeps his word. This is in his nature. Praise God that 2 Timothy 2.13 says that even we as his people, if we're faithless, he is still faithful for he cannot deny himself. So when he calls people into integrity and gives a law about being honest with one another, this is who he is. He is a God that gives promises and covenants and does not break them. This is why he's establishing Israel, because he gave a covenant back in Genesis. Psalm 145.13, the Lord is faithful in all his word and kind in his works. So as we walk in integrity, we actually are emulating God, imitating his goodness to the world, revealing his character. And I know there's a lot of disappointment and dishonesty in this world, but let's not put that on God. Let's remember that he's faithful. Like Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Aren't you glad that God is honest? That he has some integrity? That what he says goes? This is his law. He's just telling, so you're made in my image, do the same. But sadly, we can't. And so these laws of restitution, the restitution of something to its original state, this is good news of the Bible. Not that we have paid for our debt of sin, but that God has done it for us. That these laws actually show us and reveal the character of God, that, that he's righteous, that he's honest, that, that he cares, that he loves, that he wants peace. He redeems and restores And it was by his blood that we now have peace with God. It was a faithful covenant promise that a Messiah would come. And what happened? Jesus came. Let me remind us, church, Jesus promised to come back again. Jesus has promised you eternal life. You put your hope in. He has promised you to give you peace and joy. And joy comes in the morning. We should go and cling to the precious promises of God And understanding when we look at this law, it is teaching us what is right and is wrong. And the beauty of God shines bright. Oftentimes when we look at the law, all we do is turn it around and face us. And we just fall short over and over and over again. That's the negative side. And that's important. But have you seen the positive side of who God is through the law? That he wants to redeem, that he wants to restore. And we can receive who he is, not by trying to do the law, but just by going to his grace and turning to him. I'll finish with this. Tony Murta says this, the gospel changes us. It creates in us a new heart of love for God and neighbor. The gospel creates not just a heart to make things right with others that we have uh, offended, but to go beyond, to lovingly serve and to generously give. There is transformative power as we go to God's word and it reveals to us who he is. And when we go to God's word, the whole point is to worship him. So we don't just look at these rules and find their principles and say, okay, now i got to do this, now i got to do this, now i got to do this. Look at Christ and who he is and how he fulfilled the law. He was the perfect one that could be at peace with all men, even when they spat in his face, even when they nailed him to the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He demonstrates his perfectness and his righteousness because he was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He gives us that righteousness, not by us entering into this law, but seeing him through it and going to God and saying, God, I can't do this. I need you. I can't make things right. I can't restore my relationship with you. I need peace. I'm an enemy of God. But by the grace of God, the Bible says, we can have a right relationship with him. And as we respond to the gospel of Jesus and trust in him as our God, we're transformed and we're able to live out the gospel and to the world around us. And you know, the world notices. Like I said in the beginning, 1 Peter 2, 11, 12, the world notices 
when people follow after a Messiah and walk in humility and say we need God, and we are able to show the blessings of God as we follow him in his ways and say, Lord, would you help me to learn these principles and to love people? Would you help me to forgive? Would you help me to make wrongs right? Would you help me to overcome evil by doing good? I need your spirit, God. Would you use me? And he does. He uses us. And you could be salt and light, not by your own strength, nor by your own power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. Amen? So he says, just enjoy his grace. When you gather, make sure that you know that you're saved by grace, you lean on grace, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. What he says goes, and we want to live by his word. And that's why we're just going through it week after week, day after day, clinging to God's word to find our strength. And so let's respond, let's sing a song, pay communion, and just thank God that we can trust in his word. God, we thank you so much for your word and how we can trust in you. And Lord, as we just continue to walk through this text, God, it's a little unusual, more teaching, not as um, maybe relevant as we may first come across, but we see your beauty in it. We see your uh, law. And Lord, we just want to admit that we need you. We need you to forgive us for we break the law. And we thank you, God, that we can go to your word and know that we can come and enter into rest through you, Jesus, not through doing a whole bunch of good and abstaining and all this different stuff, Lord. You give us new hearts. So, God, we want to remember that. We want to bless your name. We want to thank you for your faithfulness and for your goodness and your righteousness and your love. And, Lord, would you continue to mature us to to be quick to repent, to just turn to you as we fight the flesh and deal with sin and the brokenness of this world. And so we thank you, God. We honor you. And as we just close in taking communion, may we remember that great promise that you are coming back again, that you will rule and reign. And so we pray even until then, let your kingdom come on earth that is in heaven. As we let you Lord of our lives and the kingdom of God enters through this world through us, may you be continue to be glorified as we honor and worship you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter what you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.